welcome to the Helping Families Be Happy podcast, where we explore the often messy world of family, love, and relationships. I am your host for this podcast, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, a practicing clinical psychologist, wellness advocate, and author based in Sonoma County, California. I've teamed up with Familius Publishing to bring you nourishing real-life information about love, family, relationships, and life. And now I am thrilled to introduce today's guest, Mary Potter Kenyon, who will be talking with us about her book, Called to Be Creative, A Guide to Reigniting Your Creativity. Welcome to the podcast, Mary. Thank you so much for having me. It is such a delight. So, Called to Be Creative, before we jump into that, tell our listeners a little bit about you. I'm a certified grief educator. I'm trained under um, David Kessler, who's a world-renowned grief expert. I'm a therapeutic art coach, and I am a, a very happily newly married former widow. And I also am a public speaker, and I do workshops and presentations on grief, creativity, that kind of thing. Ah, so you're a newly married former widow. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you've come out the other side of grief and into the embrace of a new love. Yes, yes. And I wondered at first with happiness, would because I had so many years fueled by grief in my writing and present, presentations that I wondered, oh, what's going to happen now that... <laughs> I'm fueled by joy. Can I still, can I still do it? Can I still be creative? Can I still write? And, and yes, I can. <laughs> yes, you can. That's a, that's a lovely answer. It would be very sad state of affairs if grief was the only source of your creativity, right? That's, that's right. Yes, yes. So before we go a little bit deeper into your new book, called to be creative. Would you tell me a little bit about, because I know, you know, we've, ta- we've had the privilege of, of talking before. So I'm wondering, how has your former work informed you as you've moved into this new segment called to be creative? What about your former work? Well, actually, the call to be creative, the seeds were planted in 2011 after I lost my mother because my mother was such a creative person. And um, I, I watched her and saw what she could do with very little because she raised 10 children on pretty much nothing and found ways to beautify our home. And she found ways to make a home business with wall hangings and quilts and beautiful wood carvings and art. I mean, so I was surrounded by creativity. So that very first uh, inkling that I might be writing about creativity was planted in 2011. But in, in the meantime, I had books on couponing because I lived a couponing lifestyle. And uh, I had a book on couponing, Coupon Crazy come out. Chemotherapist, How Cancer Cured a Marriage because I cared for my husband during his cancer. Refined by Fire, A Journey of Grief and Grace is a book we've talked about before. And that mm-hmm. was that was fueled by the loss of mother, husband, and then a grandson in the space of three years. Uh. 
And then expressive writing for healing because I found healing, my own healing through through my faith, but also through my writing and eventually journaling because I was not a journaler years before. But And Mary and Me is co-written with a, my long-term friend, Mary Jedlica Humpston. Mary and Me is about a friendship fueled by 30-some years of letters, handwritten letters. And so I, the creativity has to be the most fun, <laughs> of course, because like I said, a lot of my writing, not the couponing, but the, the other books were pretty much fueled by that, that grieving nine and a half years of being a widow and what I was discovering. And there's, there's pieces of all of those books in the call to be creative, because what fuels our creativity, it can be grief, it can be it can be just looking back to our childhood as we get older and maybe have a little more time of what was it? What was it that made me come alive or makes me come alive now? And that's what I discovered in those nine and a half years of grieving is I discovered, hey, I used to speak in high school and I can speak again, even though you wouldn't think it as I was mm. raising eight children <laughs> and finding my rediscovering my own creativity. It was something I held on to as I raised eight children, but um, rediscovering it in different ways and helping other people. And that's My what those goodness. other books did was help other people. That's why I wrote all of those books is to help other people. To help others. So mm-hmm. my goodness, a child so you were you're you were a child in a family mm-hmm. of with you had nine siblings and then you had Eight of your own children? Yes, yes, eight children. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Well, it sure would take a lot of creative energy to keep Mm -hmm. that going. Uh (laughs) Yes, it it does (laughs) and did. So when you talk, I'm going to just touch back on something that I found really beautiful. When you were talking about your mom, was she a single mother? You were saying about the home being filled with quilts and woodworking. Was she doing all of this on her own? No, thank goodness. (laughs) But, But we did grow up in poverty and my dad was a hard worker he was creative in his own way in that he could take apart a stereo, two stereos and make one working stereo or take apart a car when it wasn't running and, and figure out how to put it back together and stuff. So he was creative in that way. But the, you know, my mom at home was, was the, the person that I saw making us a home, making our, our poverty stricken house a home. Mm. And it sounds like she did a beautiful job of that by making it warm and cozy and filled with creativity. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay, so with that as the backdrop, let's dive into Called to Be Creative, a guide to reigniting your creativity by Mary Potter Kenyon. Okay, give us a hint of what's in store. Well, because I had that creative mother and then I started doing some public speaking on creativity because she was kind of like my muse for that. And I, and I, like I said, I'd hunt on to creativity in the form of writing all those years. I started doing some public speaking on being creative in our life, in our everyday life. And I was horrified to discover that the younger women in my audience said they were too busy with raising young families or to be creative, that they didn't have time for creativity. And then the older women at the other end of the spectrum were telling me that they didn't have any creativity or it was too late for them now. And that kind of 
made me delve into the science of creativity because I thought, you know what, I think we all have it in us to be creative. What is it? What happens? What happens to that very creative little child that we, that we become an adult who can't fit creativity into our life or worse, think, thinks we're not creative. And so there's a little bit of science in Call to be Creative as I delved into the research and discovered that, lo and behold, science is behind it that we are designed to be creative. Now, I had my faith that I believed that God designed us to be creative, but now I had science behind it. So there's a little bit of that just to convince the reader that, yes, you are designed to be creative and some jump-starting activities at the end of each chapter of um, jump-starting that creativity, making the reader look back to their childhood. What was it? What was it that you were drawn to naturally? And I also interviewed various people that I saw as creative, uh, a yoga teacher, a painter, um, my own brother who started doing woodwork after our mother died in his 60s. He started doing woodworking and, you know, found that old creativity in him. So there's the science, a little bit of science, a, a lot of my own story, because like I said, I was mothering eight children, homeschooling. I was a little bit, you know how they say the square peg in the round hole. I was the the square peg. And so I knew that that might be part of why I went on to that writing all those years and looking at a little bit at my story and, and also the interviewing those, those people who are creative and those jumpstart activities. So that's kind of the bare bones of the book is basically by the end of the book, if you've done even one of the activities or looked back to your childhood, or I believe that everybody who comes away from this book with realizing, oh, it is in me. There's something in me. There's something in me. And I just have to find a passion and a purpose and whatever it is that makes me come alive and fit that into my life. Because if we are doing something creative, we are healthier and happier for it. Okay, so with that background, tell me a little bit, please, about some of the science. Oh, yes. I loved and was fascinated when I discovered that George Land in, I believe, 1968 was studying, he was doing a research study because he had designed a test for NASA engineers. Now, NASA engineers have to be creative, obviously. And um, so he had designed this test and for some reason, decided to give it to Head Start Kids in 1968, 1,600 children who were enrolled in Head Start. Now, if you don't know what Head Start is, that's a government-funded program to give children in poverty the preschool experience. So we're talking about poor kids. And he gave that same test that he'd given NASA engineers to those 1,600 children. And the results were that 98% of those children fell into the genius category of imagination. And that as parents, we, we already see that in our kids, right? We see that genius level of, they don't care whether they're getting their hands dirty in the dirt, they're gonna make mud pies. They don't care if they're coloring outside of the lines, you know, they, they're just drawn to things, to creative things. So we see that in kids, in our own kids. But by the age of 10, when he gave those same children that same test, that genius category that had been 98% was down to 30%. Ah. By age 15, 12%. And in the 280,000 adults that were given that same test, 
a dismal 2% fell into that genius category, 2%. So my question is what happens to kids between that age of five and the adulthood that takes that genius right out of us, that creative genius right out of us. So that was one of the the studies that just fascinated me. I was in Head Start. I was one of those poverty stricken kids in 1965 or 66. And, you know, and we, teachers I've talked to have seen it in their students where they love reading when they come into school and they're loving reading. And then by third or fourth grade, something happens. They stop loving reading or it becomes work, whatever it is. And of course, by the time we're adults, and we have to have jobs and we're raising families and the world is telling us that creativity is for those chosen few who have pictures hanging on a wall in a museum or they're musicians that have beautiful, beautiful music. We lose something we lose. And I don't have the answer to exactly what we lose, well, but it's still in my, us. That was my question. So what have you come to the conclusion, just taking a taking an educated guess? Mm-hmm. What would you say is the reason there's that incredible drop off in creativity. I think there's a lot of reasons. I think it's because somebody told some of some of us that we were no good at something that we loved. And so all it takes sometimes is one person. And sadly, it can be a parent, it can be a teacher, it can be a peer. But somebody tells us, no, you know, you're, you're no good at that. And we love it. Maybe it's something we loved. And maybe with a little work, we would become good at it. But a lot of people stop trying because and then the the world is telling us that creativity doesn't make you money or, you know, you're not one of the chosen few that has that in you. And so, of course, then we have to work our way to something that will make us money. And so we drop it that way. And, and sometimes, sometimes people might not like to hear this, but sometimes it's the educational system. Maybe because the teacher has to teach to the test. And yes. so she, she can't let that little boy in the corner who's not listening and who's daydreaming. And by the way, my book is very much pro daydreaming because science shows us those daydreamers among us are actually some of the most creative people. So that little boy who's antsy because he doesn't want to sit or he's looking out the window or the little girl, because I was one of them that would look out the window a lot and daydream. You know, you can't do that. You're you're told not to do that. And that, you know, that's not going to get you the A's or the the grades that you need. So then then you don't fit in. And it's actually a lot of those reasons. There's a lot of things behind it. But so I don't have the one thing. It makes a great deal of sense. And I think that when we look at the variety of factors, whether it's in the family of origin, whether it's simply socialized out of mm-hmm. us through formal education, mm-hmm. whether it's part of the expected maturational process. Mm-hmm. You're right. I imagine it's a lot of factors. So let's turn back to called to be creative. And for our listeners, how about a few pointers? Give them a taste of how readers can bring creativity into their own lives, the lives of their children, the lives of their partners. Mm-hmm. What are a few hints? Well, first of all, we have to stop thinking of creativity as something for those chosen few and something that you hang in a museum or it's in an opera hall or, or, or whatever it is. Creativity can be what, what you are born with, the gift you are born with that you might not think of as creativity. It could be that you have a natural knack for relating to children or you have this empathy that you are a good listener that can be you can use that creative 
creatively in your job and your life. It's uh, it can be that you are an awesome baker and everything you make tastes delicious and everybody wants your recipes or they want you to bring the potato salad when you go to the picnics and whatever it is. It's thing gardening. It can be it can be having the gift of the, the green thumb. A lot of people rediscovered their creativity, their natural creativity during the beginning of the pandemic when they were turning to something that at home that that maybe they hadn't done for years, like board games or playing games with their children or getting outside and coloring with chalk on the sidewalks. And, and so another thing that we have to do is look to our childhood mm. and look to those things and make a list, make a list of the things you were naturally drawn to as a child. And some of us will have to look a lot farther back than others to remember that. And I have done this with so many people in jumpstart your creativity workshops and something will, a light comes on in their eyes and they'll, oh, I remember making Barbie doll clothes. I haven't done, I, I don't sew, I don't, but I remember having so much fun with that. And my recommendation is you start, re, start making the list of those things that you love doing and then make a list of things that you would do if time or money was no hindrance to you. And then look at those two lists and start working in some of those things that you either loved doing or were naturally drawn to as a child or the things on your bucket list and give yourself permission to try those things and, and to allow yourself to fail. That's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. As adults, we have to allow ourselves the option of failure and try these things for fun because it's good for us. It's healthy for us to try different things and allow for failure. It's not our painting. If we haven't touched a paintbrush since grade school and we're for, in our forties or fifties, that painting that we tried that first time is not going to look like the painting of somebody who's been okay, painting for so 30 years. Excellent. So I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Is that a failure? That is not a failure, but we Wonderful. see it as a failure. I like that. I like that it doesn't have to be a failure. It can just be a novice's results. Yes, yes. But uh, sadly, we see that as failure. I do, I do not know how many times I've heard somebody say, oh, I can't do this. It doesn't look right. It doesn't sound right. Or, you know, just play. That, that would be the main point of my book, or one of the main points, is play put some play into your life as an adult, allow yourself the, the time for creativity. Don't look at it as something that you have to save for leisure time, or you're going to be waiting a long time because there's not a lot of leisure time built into our lives, our busy lives. And if we can take 15 minutes here, uh, Saturday afternoon there and, and get dirty in the dirt or make batches of cookies with our grandkids or try a painting class, try, I tried ukulele. I'm no good at, I mean, <laughs> but, and I felt that I thought, oh no, I'm failing. I'm failing because this sounds horrible. And then I looked up and I saw another woman struggling and then we burst into laughter because we remembered that I had told everybody we're going to have fun here. And that's the main point. So I did have fun, but I've never had musical aspirations. I've never, that's not like my dream that someday I'll play a ukulele or a piano. And so it was just something to do to have fun. And we have to have that in our lives as adults. Absolutely. And I like that piece that you're talking about having fun. Because when we look at familiuses, 10 habits of a mm -hmm. healthy family, a few of them mm -hmm. are love together, play together, learn mm -hmm. together, work together, heal together 
laugh together. So of course there are more, but when we look mm-hmm. at those, creativity, does it work hand in hand with those healthy habits? Oh, definitely. Learning together, because one of the things I did was start a creativity group at my local library, and we would get together and just try something different every month. And my book is built to do that because it's 12 chapters. And so each month, if you decided to do it with a group or if you read it with a group, you could actually do the activities together, make a vision board, uh, do blackout poetry, do just something new every month. And that's what we did. And that's something about being with a creative tribe. You leave when you're with people in the same room. It's, it's the same for when I do grief things. All those people in that room have lost somebody. Or when I do mm. creativity things or writing things, everybody in there is interested in writing. So there's this creative energy that happens when you start to do things in, with a tribe or with people who like-minded individuals who are looking for the same thing. They might not know exactly what they're looking for, but something about creativity attracted them to that group or attracted them to, uh, to this book. And then they discover something, oh, I'm having fun. And not only that, this room's full of creative energy and that happens to me all the time. And that's why I love these tribes that I form in my own making. That sounds absolutely wonderful and a beautiful way to reframe it which is sometimes our creativity does really a great job of expanding in solitude and sometimes we really need that energy of a tribe of a Mm -hmm. group that kind of gets the creativity and creativity going really Mm -hmm. energized Mm -hmm. so and that's a really another a great point thank you so much for sharing Mm -hmm. that so when you look at how does creativity help families be happy Oh, well, science shows that if you are being creative and using your natural creativity, you are going to the doctor less, there's less anxiety, there's less stress. There are hospitals and groups for veterans that and or people with cancer that actually use creativity as a healing, a healing activity Mm. that and I've done that and I've incorporated creativity into my grief retreats is something about that trains our brain to look at things more positively or work our way through things hands-on way. And some people need that, that hands-on way. And so, of course, then if you're being creative with your children too, I mean, what's more fun than sitting down on the sidewalk and watching your mom make terrible pictures with chalk or um, baking together in the kitchen or digging in the dirt together. Those things draw our families together, being creative together. And guess what? It doesn't hurt our kids to see us following our own passions. And that's what some I I try to get through to these younger mothers who say, I don't have time for it. They'll pay money for their kids to take classes, gymnastics or music or whatever it is. But when it comes to themselves, they're waiting. They're waiting until their kids are grown up. And I I would have had to wait a very long time. My daughter just turned 18 last year. I would have still been waiting. And I've had 30 years of writing behind me. So I would have had to wait a very long time. And I believe it's healthy for our children to see us following our passions. It gives them permission to follow their passions and to find a purpose in, in that passion. 
Beautiful. And I love how you just bring it to the piece of passion because it makes sense, doesn't it? That when we feel passionate about something, that it brings our creative energy to life. It brings our inner light to life. It's just all around. Passion mm -hmm. can ignite so many beautiful parts of the self. Mm -hmm. And when I hear somebody talking about maybe their job or something and their voice is dull and they're just almost sound robotic and stuff. But then they're talking about maybe baking on the weekend with their grandkids or they maybe made a beautiful birthday cake and they just got a picture of it on, look at my Instagram, here's this beautiful cake I made. And then their eyes are lighting up and, and it could be gardening or whatever it is. And I'm just staring at them. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> if you could find a way to harness that passion in your work and, and maybe translate it to money, if that's what you need, a, if you need a job and that, you know, just how much more happy you would be. And you see that light in people's eyes when they're talking about, when you see that light in their eyes, that's, I always want to say, that's it. That's what you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> I had met a woman in her, I hate to guess, maybe late seventies. And um, she was, she was doing a, she, she was playing music and it was beautiful music. And she said she was going to quit doing it for the, for this particular event every year. She'd been doing it every year and she's getting older and stuff. But when she came out of that, what was supposed to be her last event that she was going to do. And she said, well, uh, that's it. And, you know, but she's talking about how beautiful, how wonderful it went and how, you know, how much she enjoyed it and her eyes lit up and her she was just so animated and I said oh my gosh don't quit you don't quit this is this is giving you life this is what you created to do it's making you come alive and lo and behold for the next three years she did it again because she agreed that's that's you know when we find that passion and you can hear it in other people's voices point it out you know you know gently point out you know what I would love to see you doing this for a living or I would love to see you doing this more because you just come alive when you're doing that. Yes, the power of positive reinforcement. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the truth? Mm -hmm. My goodness. So, Mary, I thank you so much for all of these incredible insights. And do you have maybe one or two more key ideas that you'd like listeners to take away with them today? I just would encourage people to, to discover what it is they were designed to do because there is something they were designed to do. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking of creativity as something for a chosen few. Look back to your childhood, discover what it is, and find a way to fit that into your life again. Hmm. That is so positive. And it, just another thing from what you're saying right there. So maybe somebody might feel that they are drawn to many creative things. Mm -hmm. If that's at work, sometimes that alone makes people pause because they feel flooded with what direction do I go with my creativity in music, with my creativity in writing? What do mm -hmm. I do? What's a suggestion for people who have too many things calling to them? Mm -hmm. I, I would say make a list and take yourself out on a date once a month <laughs> to give yourself like 12 months to try these different things. And I think you'll kind of know if you like, let's say you try the ukulele or you try a painting class. If you're not feeling it, that's okay. You know, just, just have fun with it. But if you're not feeling something in you that's responding to that, 
go try the next thing on your list and check that off your list. But if you are feeling it, it doesn't mean you can only paint or you can only write or you could only bake. And that's, that's your one gift. Just work those things into your life once, you, but give yourself a once a month date or a once a month thing to check off that list. Those make a list of those things that you think you're you're on. because if you're going to pull yourself into too many directions and think that well I've got to try this I've got to try this that can feel overwhelming. But if you say well I'm going to try this this month I'm going to try this next month I'm going to try this the month after you know then you've got something to look forward to also and you're going to you know. Give yourself that one year to kind of delve into those different in interests. Sounds like a plan and great advice from a <laughs> pro. So, Mary, I so appreciate you being with us. Could you tell our listeners where where can they find you? Where can they find out more about you and your books? Yes, you can find me at marypotterkenyon.com. You can find me on Facebook under Mary Potter Kenyon, on LinkedIn, Mary Potter Kenyon, and Instagram. That's a that's a fun place to hang out for creatives. Okay. Mary Potter Kenyon. And I will spell your your beautiful name. It's Mary M-A-R-Y Potter P-O-T-T-E-R. Next word, Kenyon, K-E-N-Y-O-N. And that's Mary Potter Kenyon, who's been with us about her book called To Be Creative, A Guide to Reigniting Your Creativity. Thanks again for being with us, Mary. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And as we conclude today's podcast, I'd like to thank Familius Publishing for their support in bringing this podcast to your ears and your heart. We'd be thrilled if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes and social media. If you'd like more wonderful Familius content, be sure to visit us at Familius.com, where you will find our Habit Hub blog, as well as a spectacular selection of books for families. One step at a time, we can and will make the world a happier place. Thank you for sharing your time with me, Dr. Carla Marie Manley. It's been a joy and a true pleasure. Be well and shine as only you can.